You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc. Uh, What's the date today, Rico? Wednesday, October 24th. (laughs) Don't know what date it is. Uh, I have with me today Dr. Paul Herkel. He will be joining us. Uh, First, just an announcement to make. Uh, Concussion Chronicles is uh, a new thing that we've started, and uh, the first issue is about to go out uh, the the first week in November. And what Concussion Chronicles is, for those that, that aren't aware yet, it's we go through the research every week. And uh, we break it down. We have a research team that, that kind of reviews all the research. And what we've decided to do is take the top articles and studies each month and summarize them for you and have them sent directly to your inbox via email. So if you haven't signed up yet for Concussion Chronicles, make sure you do it. The first issue, we're talking about ketogenic diet, which we'll talk about more today. Uh, and we're also talking about uh, high-intensity interval training and its relation to concussion biomarkers. And we're also talking about exercise uh, as a treatment for acute concussions, which kind of goes against the conventional thought there. And uh, so if you haven't signed up for Concussion Chronicles, you can you can do that on completeconcussions.com. And uh, it's one of the drop-down menus. Um, so uh, so uh, you can sign up there. All right. Without further ado, Dr. Paul Herkel is a board-certified naturopathic doctor with a passion to apply innovative and evidence-based nutritional, biological, and supplemental interventions to address underlying metabolic, endocrine, immunological dysfunctions. Dr. Herkel has a special interest in neurological health and chronic pain. He is currently the medical director for Advanced Orthomolecular Research, AOR, an innovative and leading Canadian national health product company, and maintains a clinical practice in Toronto area at two integrative clinics. He is also, which he failed to mention in his bio, on the medical advisory board for complete concussion management and he teaches the section on diet and pharmaceutical interventions for uh, concussions and so uh, we've all been uh, very pleased to be able to learn from Dr. Herkel over the years and I'm sure any of any CCMI clinician that's out there will tell you the wealth of knowledge that this man brings and um, excited to have him on the show and actually this is well the second time we've ever had a guest on the show so Dr. Herkel Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Cam. Uh, it's a real pleasure. You know, just to touch on the chronicles that you mentioned uh, at the beginning, I think the the biggest benefit of CCMI is the the, the research that um, that you always keep the members and the clinics and clinicians up to date with, and this is just a really great option of. <clears throat> having access to this research that uh, that you might not necessarily have to even have, have to be a clinic. Um, so really excited for that, uh, for the people that are part of our, our network. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing it for our clinics forever. Exactly, yeah. And so we thought like, okay, there's other people that could benefit from this, and so that's kind of why we why we did it. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So we're ready to get into our talk about... Awesome. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So pathophysiology of concussion, you're talking an accelerated force, you're talking um, mitochondrial dysfunction, ATP deficit. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, because this injury is this metabolic thing, we've never really had treatments for concussion. It was basically sit, wait it out, don't go back to sport too soon, you know, don't put yourself at risk for injury. Now, from learning from you... What can we do, let's say, in the acute phases, like talking about, actually, let's, let's just dive into pathophysiology, right? So sure. um, mitochondrial dysfunction following <coughs> that injury um, leading to a reduced production of ATP. Yep. Now, is there anything acutely in that process that could be targeted therapeutically, let's say, as a preventative measure yep. for concussion? I get this question a lot, uh, you know, whether it's an athlete saying, hey, I've had concussions in the past and I'm just trying to do something to prevent myself from, you know, having the prolonged uh, healing process that you might have or or improve my ability for recovery. I just want to point out right from the beginning is that there's no research on this particular area. A lot of what what I'm going to talk about right now is 
about understanding the pathophysiology and then applying functional medicine and, and the understanding of that physiology. So what we know right off the bat is that there is an immediate uh, excitotoxic um, cascade and that primarily is calcium going into the cell and majority of calcium and sodium are outside the cell and they really get switched and what that does is that basically overwhelms the mitochondrial ability to create a gradient. So that gradient on that cellular membrane is what allows the ATP to produce. So basically that environment is damaged. You can't produce ATP. So what the mitochondria in the cell does is that they try to pump out all this calcium, ASAP, and it just uses up all the ATP. So that's why you have an initial hypermetabolic phase, very short, and then you have this depressed hypometabolic phase. So right off the bat, just because I said calcium, you can right away look at what are things that we can do, um, and this is probably going to be preventative, is to offset that cascade. So number one... So before the injury happens. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so because this, you have to understand, this takes days, weeks sometimes to be incorporated into your cellular machinery. Like, for example, fish oils, to get into the cellular membrane, it, it sometimes will take weeks, maybe if not months, to, to really incorporate. So a lot of the things that we'll talk about today, really, you probably should be taking before to get the optimal effects. Now, that's not to say that you can't be therapeutic after. It just means that you probably missed a bit of the beneficial window. So you're working an uphill battle to try and a little build bit, your yeah. stores. But if you had the stores beforehand, you'd be in a better position. Exactly. Okay. And so maybe you, you, you won't have such a depressive phase of the ATP. So basically, I'm a big fan of magnesium because magnesium and calcium counter each other inside the cell. So calcium and sodium outside, magnesium and potassium inside the cell and inside the mitochondria. And they're the ones that kind of create that gradient. And anytime you have... <clears throat> Uh, a muscle contraction, a nerve conduction, those quickly switch and the, the body recreates that homeostasis. So if you have optimal magnesium, and we know research shows in animal models that magnesium levels go down very quickly yeah. after yeah. a TBI. And so what we can do is optimize those magnesium levels. I think that's a really good way of offsetting that calcium um, hyper um, excitotoxic phase. Um, so that's the first piece. It takes probably, uh, I would say, you know, three months to really get magnesium into your cell fully. A majority of the magnesium is stored inside your bones, and that's the place that is the storage tank gets the depleted first. So if you are in a state of high exertion like an athlete, research shows that 90% of athletes are deficient in magnesium. Uh, anytime that you are going to have any sort of medications that block stomach acid, you're going to be deficient in magnesium. So those are like things like Tums, proton mm. pump inhibitors. If you're eating highly refined diets that kind of have this negating effect on our digestive juices, they are going to also inhibit the absorption of magnesium. So that's pretty much everyone in North America. Right. So everyone is walking around with a subclinical deficiency in magnesium. And the reason you don't see it on blood work is that only 1% of it is in your blood work where 99% of it is in bone, muscle, tissue, and brain, including that. So I'm a big fan of getting magnesium because it also has a lot of other beneficial effects on like lowering inflammation. There's research on it itself lowering CRP levels, just mm -hmm. magnesium. Um, so that's what, one thing that's right off the bat that we can do. The other thing is this creatine. And you and I have talked about this before. I talk about it in, our, in, in the CCMI course. Uh, creatine has actually one of the few things that has human evidence on it for yeah. concussions. So a lot of the stuff is, is very um, preclinical. So creatine, both before a TBI and after a brain injury, show that it, it can decrease some of the neurological deficits that happen. And the mechanism that it, that it, that it basically works is that it is kind of like spraying quick start into the cellular ATP machinery because it provides a kind of a rapid fuel source. So phosphocreatine, if you remember back to like glycolysis pathways, that, that's like grade 10 biology. Uh, you know, and that is how creatine can actually offset some of those um, ATP deficits. And that's something that would be optimized to be in your diet pre-injury. 
Yeah, it's it's a common supplement uh, that a lot of athletes will take. It's it's very safe. A lot of people, um, I even remember when I was a varsity athlete, they were like, "Well, don't take creatine. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you know it's dangerous." Just water and whatever else yeah, is. and it's true. There, it does attract water to it, so you know muscles will puff up. Yeah. But you know that's a secondary thing that's not harmful. It's not harmful to the kidneys. A very good safety evidence on on creatine, uh, and so that would be one that I think is quite safe and accessible that people can take to really offset that initial cascade. <clears throat> And then the third one is uh, it, one of my, it's a, a bit off the, um, you know, it's an amino acid that's a bit off people's radar, but it's found in green tea. Uh, and um, green tea has a lot of antioxidant benefits, but the amino acid called theanine, what it does is that it decreases excitotoxicity of glutamate. And glutamate is one of the key excitotoxic amino acids that are kind of propagating that uh, initial depressive ATP phase. So theanine, very safe, studying kids. Majority of the research is actually on um, anxiety and calming people's minds uh, for studying without making them sedated. Mm. So it's kind of promoting alpha wave production. So that's more of a, there isn't, there's research on green tea, but there isn't research on theanine, but that's something that, you know, from a mechanistic perspective, I think makes a lot of sense. Just biologically. Biologically, yeah. Yeah. Now, let's talk about magnesium a little bit. I know that you and I have talked about this as well. So why are so many people deficient in magnesium? Like, why is that such a common deficiency? Like, isn't that something that, you know, would be readily available in just standard diet? Is it because of the processed yeah. foods? Is, or is it, um, I think we've, we've spoken about this before, about like farming practices and things like yeah. that. So like, maybe kind of elaborate on that a little bit and why it's so commonly deficient in athletes. It's a great question. And I lecture on this all the time. And I alluded to a couple points, you know, a couple minutes ago. The main reason is that we don't have it in our agricultural practices from a fertilizer perspective anymore. So majority of the fertilizer is nitrogen based. And the reason is, is that makes things grow really fast. But what magnesium does in the plant, and by the way, it's not found in the animal kingdom, it's found primarily in the plant kingdom, uh, where iron is kind of the center of that hemoglobin molecule mm -hmm. that animal mammals need to use. Plants, the chlorophyll molecule, which gives it a nice green color, magnesium is the center of that. Uh, so you find it in plants, but the problem is, is that what its job really is on a plant is that it kind of makes things grow strong. And, you know, agricultural practices don't really care about strong. They care about fast so we can harvest high it yield. quick. High yield. Exactly. Get it out there. Uh, so I think there's a depletion in our, our, our food sources. And the foods that are richer in magnesium are going to be typically uh, things like your greens, Pumpkin seeds are, are high in magnesium, so I recommend that a lot to patients, and, and that has a lot of other medicinal benefits too from a fiber perspective uh, and, a, and a molecules that are called uh, cytosterols. Uh, and some of the things like tofu also has um, has magnesium in it. But even these don't have enough magnesium yeah. to be therapeutic. So I think magnesium is one of those things, kind of like vitamin D and like vitamin C, is is a real prerequisite for us if in this kind of high-stress uh, <laughs> culture that we live that we should be taking regularly. Uh, and as, then, as more of a supplement. As a supplement, yeah, as a supplement. Uh, and taking an amino acid form of magnesium, which means just magnesium is attached to a molecule. Uh, primarily, if you find it in the pharmacy, you're going to find it in the laxative aisle, yeah. you know, magnesium oxide. That is not the therapeutic type of magnesium. If you need to go to the bathroom, fine. But I like to use one that's attached to an amino acid, like glycine or malic acid or citrate's not an amino acid, but that's not a bad form either. So like magnesium glycinate would be up there, magnesium citrate. Um, Better, more absorbable form. So they, they, they don't have that laxative effect and they have a, a, an additional therapeutic effect because now the glycine also is in a relaxing amino acid. Yeah. So you have like this, a lot of my patients say, I sleep better when I take magnesium. I take acid. two before bed every night <laughs> yeah. since, uh, since visiting you. Yeah. And, and that's a, and that's a very simple, inexpensive way that you can kind of, um, be affecting things that are more than this TBI, you mm -hmm. know, just beneficial things. And then finally, I, I'd say, I think it really comes down to our digestive systems 
are constantly under attack. And we'll probably talk about this when we talk about the gut-brain yeah, uh, yeah. access. Well, I yeah, won't yeah. get into it in a lot of detail, but I really think the absorption of magnesium from our foods is not, um, not very good. And that has to do with the fact that not only is it not in the foods, also a lot of our uh, um, inflamed, we know research shows that people that have Crohn's, colitis, um, you could probably argue on food sensitivities. Anytime there's a permeability issue, inflammation at the level of the gut, so food allergies, that's going to be, um, that's going to be a, a consideration that decreases magnesium absorption. We've got a question from somebody here that just came in, uh, dosage. What would the recommended dosage be uh, for magnesium? I, I know the answer, but I'm let you, yeah. let you field this one. Yeah, I think that it, the, the important question comes down to make sure, making sure that you have the right form. And so uh, assuming that you have the right form, which we talked about, which is an amino acid form like glycinate or malate, you really want to, um, you really want to be getting around two to 400 milligrams a day of that type of magnesium. And I usually divide the doses. So I don't like to... Yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I'd like to actually split it apart because if you take all your magnesium at once, you maybe only absorb thirty percent of that magnesium. So I'd rather you take, you know, one capsule three times a day is better absorbed than taking three capsules all at once. Ah, okay. Yeah. So there's a diminishing returns the higher yeah, you yeah. go. Same goes for vitamin C, uh, because that's another one of those that is kind of capped out at around twenty thirty percent absorption of the gut. So two to four hundred milligrams spread out throughout the day. Yeah, so like go. two capsules in the morning, two capsules in the evening of a 100 milligram per capsule. Right. And that's about the maximum amount of magnesium glycinate that is pure magnesium glycinate. Yeah. A lot of my patients are taking magnesium, but they're taking these magnesium glycinates that are actually adulterated with magnesium yeah. oxide. Yeah, so I was doing this. I was a victim of this. So yeah. I went to health food store. You said get magnesium glycinate, and I got it, and I think it was like 200 milligrams per cap. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking 400 milligrams of this stuff and whatever. And you were like, how many are in each cap? And when I told you, you were like, no, that's impossible. The most you yeah. can get into a cap is like 90 to 100 milligrams. Right. And so um, basically what they do is they advertise it as magnesium glycinate, but a lot of it is magnesium oxide that's mixed in there as a smaller molecule that allows you to get more in there for space, right? Is yeah, that, is that yeah right? it's exactly the case. Yeah. It, it's more of like a, a, a bit of a marketing technique. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a, a trickery where it, it says magnesium on the bottle, so you assume it's magnesium glycinate, but when you read the fine print, sometimes it's not even there. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of companies are scrambling the last year to kind of update their label because, you know, what really bothered me as a clinician is that there was a lack of transparency that yeah. they weren't claiming that it was magnesium, pure magnesium glycinate. So I usually like... To, you know, I, I want my patients to get what's going to be most beneficial, and I don't like when they have the world pulled over their eyes. Yeah, yeah. A little filler in there. Yeah. Um, so pre-concussion, just to summarize, we're going magnesium, theanine. Now, is theanine a supplement as well, or is that is that yeah. green? Just drink green tea. Both, I would say, but you know, you can get it as a as a supplement. Um, you know, obviously all these recommendations, you know, I'm going to say it right from the start is making sure that you're working with your healthcare practitioner. You know, nothing that I'm saying here is a prescription, yeah. but these are, you know, these are considerations from an educational perspective right. that I think, you know, are, are worthy looking at. And there's many other things actually, Cam, that, and we may talk about a number of them in the future. Um, you know, for example, there's evidence on, on curcumin, there's evidence on, I mentioned green tea, um, there's plant molecules like resveratrol. And acetylcysteine, like we yeah. can, we'll touch on some of. And are these all? These are all pre-injury, like, and it's the same thing, same idea, like exactly having right. optimal levels potentially decreases the severity of the injury itself. Yeah. So, like for example, one of the questions we had come in like early was, you know, as a pro MMA fighter, so this person is is a yep. professional uh, mixed martial arts fighter, obviously subjecting themselves to potential for concussion, you know, day in and day out. Yeah. Is there, like, what would you recommend as almost a cocktail for somebody like that? It would probably depend on a lot of, like, what their levels are and things like that. But but yeah. let's say somebody that, that <coughs> just wanted to, you know, optimize as best they could at least. Well, all the things that we just talked about, um, I mean, without – everybody's different. So what I will say is that, you know – it's hard for me to give a, right. a, a protocol if it's not my patient yeah. because I, I need to kind of have that. Um, but, you know, something like I would say omega-3s is a, is a really important piece. I know we'll talk about keto shortly, uh, right. but it's a, I think omega-3s are probably the best known um, supplement that is related to, to neurological yeah, health. Sure. You know, your 
pregnant women take it, uh, people that are aging take it. And so there's research, quite a bit of research on omega-3s, uh, both pre and post injury. Again, I mentioned it takes a while to get these omega-3 fatty acids to be incorporated into the cellular membrane. And once they're incorporated in that cell membrane, when that trauma occurs, now what they're doing is producing more of an anti-inflammatory cascade along with that inflammatory cascade. So mitigate it. They will mitigate it and I think they'll also speed the resolution of it because we will talk about inflammation, but inflammation is this two sides of a coin. We often think of inflammation as something we just want to cut and get rid of. But remember, the body is not dumb. It does things always for a reason. That inflammation is part of the cleanup process after that injury. The issue with chronic unresolving symptoms in post-concussion syndrome is that that never flips into that resolution phase. And that could be because they are deficient in a whole host of these key resolution factors. And omega-3s are a key resolution factor. Question up there. Uh, is magnesium threonate this, or thionate? Is this the same yeah, as thionate, magnesium yeah. glycinate? Uh, it's not. Uh, it is obviously half of it's the same, like magnesium is the same, but it's attached to the amino acid called uh, threonate. And this particular amino acid I do uh, use quite a bit because it's probably the most brain specific type of magnesium. Threonate. Threonate. It, it has some preliminary research. Uh, I believe out of UCLA and uh, MIT, I believe, or Stanford, MIT, looking at that it has the ability to get past the blood-brain barrier a little bit better, so the absorption is better, so that uh, theronate amino acid brings it up through the blood-brain barrier better. Um, so I find clinically with this particular type of amino acid, um, patients feel calmer. And, and glycine does that too, uh, but even this is, I would say, even more. So Even better. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it is a, it's a really good form, and uh, it is a bit more expensive though. Oh. So that's the kind of trade-off. Magnesium glycinate is... Get what you pay for, as I always say. Usually, yeah. Get what you pay for. Uh, so, I mean, we were just talking about inflammation. Let's, let's get into that a sure. little bit more. So, I mean, post-injury, I mean, you first have that metabolic cascade, and more and more we're finding that a lot of the persistence of symptoms are related to inflammation. I mean, there's been studies done on, for example, elevated CRP mm -hmm. levels, uh, um, which is just a kind of global inflammatory marker. Elevated CRP levels immediately after injury, you know, correlating with prolonged or persistent symptoms, right? Now, that could be due to, let's say, brain inflammation, but it could be due to inflammation in general. If there's soft tissue injuries yep. that correspond with that, um, that just means maybe it's a more traumatic event and things like that. But just inflammation in general, and I know I've been kind of reading a lot about this lately, and I think it's it's extremely interesting. Um, and we've been putting people on kind of this anti-inflammatory diet at, at Complete Concussions for, for years now, kind of on, mm -hmm. on, on your recommendation. Um, let's talk about inflammation and, you know, some things that you can do. Let's talk about, let's talk about the gut. Sure. Let's talk about the gut-brain axis. And there's, a, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot there. So let's start with, you know, we started talking about that acute pathway, right? So there's that excitotoxicity pathway, but at the same time, almost immediately, there is the stimulation and recruitment of inflammation producing cells in the brain. These cells are called the microglia. And these speci very specific immune cells, they hang out in the brain and they don't interact with the rest of the body. So that's the blood-brain barrier. And once these cells become activated, they start spitting out these inflammatory molecules cytokines, chemokines, you can measure these. Uh, and what they do is that their main goal is to try to get that healing to happen. <clears throat> and it takes, you know, it, it takes that 14 days for, you know, a, a mild uh, TBI to kind of have some of that resolution. But we're seeing that these microglia even be become prime longer than that. So that's that that window that is even longer than that, my symptoms are gone away, but I now have this vulnerability window. So I think a lot of that's inflammation. And that inflammation actually impacts the rest of the body. So you mentioned gut, and we'll talk about that, but I want to mention that a lot of the symptoms like brain fog, tell my patients have right. brain fog, persistent brain fog, yep. that's a huge issue when it comes to inflammation, um, specifically brain inflammation, and also the inflammation and its effect on the barrier uh, between the, uh, the body and the brain, so the blood-brain barrier. Mm -hmm. And that's a symptom of, of things like brain fog. 
headaches can have some of this uh, can have an inflammatory aspect, especially cervicogenic headaches mm -hmm. have an inflammatory aspect. Um, and now it's starting to have an impact on the rest of the body. And this is what I'm really interested in, both of us, we've really been grooving on lately, is mm -hmm. that we're looking at the effect of this inflammation and how immediately, three hours after injury, the gut lining becomes more permeable. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And the question that always strikes me is why? Like, you know, if you have a brain injury, my gut's not injured. But the body, again, always has a he the healing process in mind. And so the idea is, is that I just sustained an injury to my brain. Uh, the, the, the organism needs to tell itself to slow down. So what that does is that it allows more inflammatory molecules from the gut lining so microbiome to slow us down. So there's that sickness behavior that starts happening. Like, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling well. So we wouldn't just keep going. So it's almost like our own break. Right. And so now, now you have a feedback of more inflammation in the body that goes back up to the brain. And the idea of that inflammation is to slow us down, but also to promote that phagocytosis. So basically cleaning up of that inflammation and resolution of that inflammation. So basically gut permeability is inflammatory. Exactly. Yeah. And the mechanism following brain injury is to tell your gut to become more permeable. That's right. To promote inflammation. That's right. So there would be a healing reason for that. Mm-hmm. Try and heal the injury, but also potentially to slow things down a bit. To tell the organism, say, hey, you need to you need to not do what you normally do, and you need to take a bit of a break here. So that happens three hours after injury, peaks at 72 hours, and is present for seven days plus after. And how do you stop that? Well, I think, you know, this is a very interesting question. So but let's do you say, want to stop? Yeah, exactly. How about that? How exactly. About that? I don't, I, I mean, I don't think we should stop it. I think that's like when you sustain an injury and the body goes through this process and we reach that threshold where it, and it's probably shades of gray, but where you really have that sickness behavior that's happening, we should be listening to our bodies. And I know you've been preaching this for a long time about even though your symptoms, brain symptoms have gone away, there is a bigger window yeah. that, you yeah. know, I would say... If you have a TBI and you've had those initial symptoms, it's two weeks before your, you know, and I don't know, research comes out plus or minus a couple of days once in a while. But um, there's a case to be made for that it takes at least that long to have biochemical, you know, right. resolution. And so that inflammation, like you said, through the gut is one of those key mechanisms and to, I don't know if I'd want to change that acutely. Now, one of the key considerations is is when people flip over to the chronic persistent right. symptoms. Right. And I really think, and th there isn't really evidence that we've shown this yet, but based on everything that we have so far, is that I think the, the Achilles heel from a health perspective that a person has going into the injury, and many people have gut dysfunction, many people have hormonal dysfunction, yep, me too, <laughs> That, that is where the dysfunction really sits from a chronic perspective. So a lot of people have intestinal permeability issues to start. And now you have a much more exaggerated response and it doesn't resolve because mm -hmm. there's an injury there happening. It's the same thing with like, I'm going to apply it to other things. Yeah. So for example, visual disturbances. I mean, we saw Dr. Blanc talk mm -hmm. over the weekend, right? And a lot of some of the idea behind that is like, well, why do I have this now when I never had it before? And and one of the main theories behind this is you probably did have it, but you were able to kind of work around your own dysfunctions because That's you right. had the ability to be able to do that. And maybe it's the same thing where it's like, well, I never had any gut issues before. Why do I have them now? Well, you probably did have gut, gut issues before, but they were subclinical where it wasn't yet bothering you. But if you continued on that path, you likely would have ended up with them. That's but right. this now just boom, boom, accentuates and you start getting it earlier and earlier and earlier. And I mean, I mean, this is, this is, and I've seen this firsthand in myself and like, you know, I'm, I'm a patient of yours as well. And, you know, I, um, was having like, you know, I've had asthma my whole life and, and, uh, exercise induced. So I've always mm -hmm. had to take an inhaler before I worked out. And, and then you remember about a year ago, yep. I started getting like hives when I would work out. So I'd start getting itchy and blotchy when I would exercise. 
and um, you know, you go to the doctor and they're like, just take a reactin before you work out. Right. Like, what kind of friggin' solution is that, right? So I'm popping antihistamines before I exercise, and that works for about a year or so, and then, then that, you know, doesn't work anymore. And so I talked to you, and it was all like, he's like, this is all your gut. Like, your immune system is completely triggered. Your histamine response is triggered by gut inflammation. Yep. Something's going on with your gut. And... We did an elimination diet, yep. uh, which I'm pretty much still on, aside from some few introductions that I've done. <coughs> but like immediately, um, I haven't needed my inhaler now in about whatever have five months or so since we've been doing mm-hmm. this. I haven't been getting itchy with exercise at all, um, and literally after two or three days of just eliminating some of the stuff from my diet, so your glutes, your yeah. yeah I, it like this fog had lifted off my off my. I didn't even know I had fogginess, and all of a sudden I could see clearly, and and everything. I just I felt like I had a leg up on the rest yeah. of the world. You know, like I felt like so much energy. I was sleeping better, and it was instantaneous. And immediately it clicked for me and been like, how many of my friggin' concussion patients that are explaining this brain fog, yep. chronic fatigue type of stuff just have this gut issue and so like for me it's been like a profound you know thing and that's why i've been getting more and more um into it um anyway that's just my story yeah well that's a perfect example of what i see with my patients all the time and yours was just a really dramatic example like you were out of breath you had these hives you had this immune dysregulation basically happening Mm -hmm. 80 percent of the immune system is in and around the gut Mm -hmm. the you know the gut associated lymphoid tissue and that is what regulates all of the immune cells that are they're basically being born and created and their patterns of recognition are being set right then and there so if you have a permeability if you have food sensitivities over time you might get symptoms like i have allergies i have asthma i get cramping and bloating once in a while uh these are symptoms that a lot of people consider normal yeah yeah. and they just deal with them every day these are our concussion patients and they have a TBI and all of a sudden they have all these symptoms that start happening that don't go away and it really was now just unearth this underlying imbalance that you really had and a lot of it happens in the gut and because the gut is the first place that the external environment often we interact with think of all the foods that we eat and all all the non-foods crap that we're eating not to mention things like uh, GMOs and glyphosate. So Roundup was a big thing that lawsuit in the U.S. has been really front and center in the media. We know that that destroys and damages and alters our microbiome. That is a huge, you know, that's a huge issue. Uh, so all of these environmental things conspire to always be assaulting the, the gut to be less than what's optimal. So in the acute phase, you say, I, I would just leave it alone. Leave it alone, see what happens. Right, over time in terms of like a supplement perspective. We've been basically providing almost an elimination diet for people anyway. Now, is that, should we revisit that? Should we maybe take a step back on that? Or do you think that that's still the right thing to do? Because inflammation is going to happen anyway, but let's keep it in check. Like, what what are your thoughts on Yeah, I think, you know, I would correct the diet that we've that we've been recommending to our clinicians right now is probably more of a just a plant-based diet. I have not gone to the point of making an elimination yeah. diet. That's the next step because it is a little bit more hardcore. Yeah. It requires a, a much larger degree of buying. Like think of the typical concussion patient that walks into our clinician's office. They are reeling from this thing. They have a whole list of acute symptoms. They want to get back to play ASAP. Right away. And they're thinking this is all a brain issue. Mm-hmm. It hasn't clicked into them until a lot of these people do some research. They hear you talk. They hear a po- They see a post by me, and they realize, hmm, maybe it is my hormones or my gut or something that's unrelated. So there isn't the buy-in needed to mm-hmm. do an elimination diet. So the difference between um, a brain protective diet, which is what the research is looking at right now, so that is a high antioxidant, a plant-based, primarily plant-based diet. And what I mean by that, that doesn't mean vegetarian. That means that you're eating at least diff- eight different colors of fruits and vegetables every day. The spectrum of the rainbow is more important than eating. I ate a bushel of carrots or, or, or broccoli, <laughs> even though there's medicinal benefits of each one. It's about the bioflavonoids and the antioxidant compounds in the colors. 
So you want to eat eight different colors. And then we talk about good fats. We talk about avocado. We talk about uh, coconut oil, um, which is also kind of controversial. We talk about um, we talk about keto, and again, very extreme. But we talk about eating good fats um, as part of like um, free range organic meats. Uh, th those are higher in omega threes and higher in vitamin K and vitamin E and vitamin A than the stuff that you find from the feedlot type of uh, cattle. So that's the type of diet that we're recommending to our clients, uh, sorry, to our, to our clinicians. I think the diet that really rehabilitates the gut, that's even next level, Cam. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I think maybe we could revisit that. And I'm, and that's definitely what I'm going to be when, um, I'm going to be teaching the integrative and naturopathic side of things, which is a course that, uh, we're going to be launching in 2019. Um, that is absolutely what we're going to be talking about. So acute phase, yep. plant-based diet. Uh, a more antioxidant-based to, yep. to deal with the antioxidant depletion that happens as a result of the excitotoxic. Yeah. And um, I forgot to say, very little sugar. Remember we talked yes. about that? Caloric restriction by 30%. And that really just means no soft drinks, no juices, no extra anything. If it's, if it's sugar on the ingredient list, Get rid of it. don't do it. Yeah. And that itself will reduce calories. Yeah. And when you reduce that calories by 30% and replace it with all these nutrient-dense, real foods, mm -hmm. as unprocessed as possible, mm -hmm. then you are automatically going to be right away reducing that excessive calories. Mm -hmm. You know, something like, uh, you know, I'm going to use the worst example, like, a, you know, a Joe Louis or, a, uh, you know, a breakfast sandwich. That's just jam full of fat and sugar and salt and all these inflammatory foods uh, and molecules like you know wheat and gluten is a huge one, which we'll which we'll probably touch on again. But that is going to be um, that's going to be one of those things that are obviously going to make that inflammation worse. So let's take it from acute okay. now, it kind of into the chronic spectrum. Um, the these are the difficult patients. These are the patients that you know like nothing seems to work. They've probably seen. 15 different healthcare professionals by the time they get to yeah, like you it's know frustrating. me sometimes and 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 probably you it's probably even longer right like yeah. it's just people don't think naturopathic medicine when they think of, of concussion yet they but i think that they will um just it's just becoming mm -hmm. you know so so obvious but so let's get in now to gut health let's sure. we have gut permeability we have you know we mentioned elimination diet what can we do to to fix that. And I mean, obviously yep. working with somebody like yourself is going to be the way to do that. Um, but just for the practitioners that are out there, what, sure. what would we do? What can we do? Yeah. So <clears throat> I had a great question at the last, um, at the last lecture I did, which was on Friday at brain injury can in Ottawa, we were there together. Right. Um, and the question was just a lot of the stuff you just mentioned, like, you know, organic foods and, you know, um, <clears throat> plants and all these or all these foods that are not processed unfortunately the way that our our system is set up from an agricultural perspective is that these are more expensive and so the question is is how do people afford a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. so the first thing i start with um to answer your question is eliminate the garbage eliminate the stuff that is going to be hurting your digestive line and that's going to be making it worse and that is really coming down to eating as <clears throat> I use the word clean as possible, mm -hmm. and that includes vegetables are good to go, uh, animal meats are good to go, but trying to get the higher quality. Now you see at every single store, it's omega-3 eggs, it's free range, it's grass-fed cow. You know, there's options out there that are much more affordable, uh, and really cutting back on all the processed grains. So think breads, muffins, pastas, because they have other ingredients in it. Um, if you're just eating like a quinoa or a rice or a sweet potato, that itself will remove a lot of the molecules that make the gut more permeable. And that itself is limiting all the food allergies. So that's the first piece. So the first piece is remove the obstacle to cure. Mm -hmm. Before even adding anything, a lot of yeah, people, yeah. the first thing people think about is what's what supplement can I take? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, supplement what can I take? Yeah. And that's the wrong, that's the wrong approach. I don't care how much probiotics you take, you are not going to be able to heal a gut that is damaged and inflamed and permeable if you're still eating those foods. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is, is it's, it's one that's often overlooked is what state are you in in terms of your nervous system? Um, and what that means is one of the things that I really look at is the balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. 
The mechanism of why a brain injury causes intestinal permeability is actually mediated through a nerve called the vagus nerve. And this is the nerve that comes out of the brainstem, and its job is to innervate and supply with impulses from the brain the intestinal lining, majority of the organs in the, in the abdominal and thoracic cavity. Now, actually, it's more of a sensory nerve than it actually is uh, a nerve that's giving impulses because 80% of it goes back up to the brain and it's always sensing. So that's the mechanism. That nerve immediately becomes dysregulated, and that's why you have that in intestinal permeability. So back to the question about what we can do to heal leaky gut is you need to eliminate anything, especially while you're eating, that's stressful. So I'll give you one example. How many people, when they're eating, have their phone out? and the cruising on their phone. That is a sympathetic action because you are activating a, a, a highly stimulating um, action and that is a sympathetic, that's causing that, that blue light is causing that sympathetic activation. When you are in sympathetic mode, you cannot be in parasympathetic mode at the same time. That's the way those two neurological pathways inhibit each other. Mm -hmm. How many people watch TV? Yeah. How many people eat on the go? Yeah. Stressed, in the car? Yeah. Uh, we need to sit down and give ourselves the time to chew our food properly and to digest our food properly. Okay, so that's number two. So eliminate the, the garbage, eat very low processed, and put yourself in a, a, a stressful, a sort of stressless environment. Um, and then finally, you can add in foods that have some of the gut healing aspects. So for example, um, the <coughs> there's an amino acid called glutamine. Glutamine is really a key essential fuel for the lining of the intestines. And glutamine is a supplement you can take. It's also found in uh, vegetables like cabbage. Uh, and a lot of the molecules that are found in those colorful vegetables, like there's molecules in broccoli that have a gut healing uh, property. Uh, I really like bone broth. And that's mm -hmm. a big thing now because it has a lot of the collagen, has a lot of the peptides and proteins that also have the ability to heal uh, intestinal lining as well. Um, a really good soup or bone broth is a great food that acutely you can use after a concussion that is really easy to digest but also has a therapeutic property. So those are there's many supplements and I haven't even talked about probiotics but those are yeah. the foods that I would right away uh, take in. Uh, <clears throat> and then you know starting with a probiotic the research is pretty clear um, especially if you combine it with an omega-3. Uh, Omega-3s and probiotics do uh, regulate the bacteria in the gut, and the bacteria ultimately are, are, are key regulator of the intestinal lining as well. And there was, I mean, it, this this Sunman paper here yeah. that uh, talked about microbiome. Uh, I mean, that was a crazy read. Like, I mean, I yeah. was I was into that big time. And talking about like fiber, yeah, just dietary yes. fiber, Good point. because it's that's fuel for the gut bacteria. That's right, and. We are so deficient in the fiber intake that, that you know, good good fiber, um, you know, so that's another thing that I would just kind of add to uh, to what you just said. Now, in terms of, eliminate, uh, like, the way I describe it with my patients is no dairy, no gluten, no eggs, no no refined sugar, no alcohol. Right. Alcohol is huge. Right. And I, and I try to bargain with them a little bit because I think the reason why people want to know what supplement can I take is because they don't want to change their diet. I know. They're, they want to crush pizza, right? They want to crush, you know, beers and whatever else. And so getting them to remove something that they love is, is a lot harder than just telling them to take a pill, right? People just, our society loves, you know, just popping pills. But Quick fix. Yeah. Like, was, was there anything you'd add to that? Um, so refined sugar, gluten, dairy, uh, alcohol. I, I think and, I think and, those are the main ones. Yeah, those okay. are, those are, that's bang on, Kim. Okay. Okay. I'm doing alcohol does a huge, huge intestinal permeability problem as well as the blood-brain barrier permeability. Right. Alcohol is a toxin when you think about alcohol because it has to be broken down. It's broken down to acetylaldehyde. These, this molecule is much more difficult for a brain-injured person to break down on, on top of, you know, um, damaging the lining of the gut. So, and we're learning more about, like, alcohol and memory and yep. things like that, and it's probably very similar mechanisms, yep. right? So, 
So a little bit of red wine is, you know, I would say it does have some cardiovascular benefit. It is part of the Mediterranean diet. So that's something that I would say is, is, a, is a good place to start. It's really when you become excessive. Uh, and Define that, excessive. <laughs> well, <laughs> is this a personal question? Uh, you know, I would say anytime that you feel that you're out, the alcohol is getting to your brain, quote unquote, you know, like that you're that what that is basically telling you is that my my alcohol detoxification systems have been overwhelmed by the amount of alcohol that I have. So as soon as you're feeling like buzzed, well, then you've then you've gone a little bit too far. I mean, again, we're talking about you can get away with it if you don't have a brain injury. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. But it's about a have I had them in the past and I'm an athlete and I'm doing everything possible. Don't go out and get on a binge drink because that affects memory for weeks after. Mm-hmm. Uh, it affects your neurological system, depresses it for over 72 hours. Uh, and there was a big thing in our varsity, obviously, program. Yeah, that was yeah, a big yeah. issue, <laughs> as with <Yeah>. any university. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm fine. But, you know, the, pre- the predisposition to injury when you're, you're biomechanically not as, as well is huge. And a lot of guys blew up their ankles. And, you know, how much could have that been changed if their proprioception was better? Right, right. Because they had a you know a really big uh, big night on Saturday, so I don't want to be a downer, but it's <laughs> it, but it's but if you're trying to be therapeutic and you're really looking at the evidence, you can't ignore it. Yeah. So, and I mean another thing that came up in this paper was just the influence of the gut, you know, on neurotransmitter production in the brain. Absolutely. So that's yeah. the other kind of mechanism of that gut brain axis. Now, you talked about microglial priming. What yeah. do you mean by priming? What is priming? What priming basically means is that right now the, the microglia normally are immune cells and they're basically like sentries. They're like guardsmen. And they basically are patrolling the brain and looking for any infection, any sort of inflammation. But what I mean by priming is that that trauma causes the microglia to go into action. So now this microglia is literally like shooting inflammation around and it's damaging good things and it's, you know. Cowboy movie. A little bit, yeah. Uh, that's the Rambo reference. Uh, at least that's the way I envision it in my mind. Um, and so a uh, prime microglia is one that is inf- uh, producing inflammatory signals. And brain injury primes a microglia. You get gut permeability, which increases inflammatory markers in the brain up. that go back up. That Now those microglia activate again on. Are further primed. Further primed. And also now monocytes and macrophages, which are systemic uh, immune cells, now also get recruited to the area of damage to say, hey, there's actually damage here that we don't want. We don't want scar tissue to happen. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to clean all that stuff out. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there any other things? So we talked about just dietary eliminating, you know, certain foods. And you talked about a few supplements that can be helpful for um, getting back in. And we talked about Talked about keto. Yeah. Now, I mean, at least from my understanding, one of the big benefits of keto is actually just to avoid the carbohydrate, which a lot of times can kind of promote inflammation. And so ketogenic as anti-inflammatory, ketogenic as ketones for fuel yep. for the brain. What are your thoughts on, I mean, keto in general and then keto yep. for brain injury? <clears throat> so I think it's important... To understand, so everyone understands keto, uh, for those of you that are not familiar with it, it's consuming less than 30 grams of carbohydrates. Which is not which is which not is, a lot. Yeah, which, which is, is a very small amount. Like a beer, I looked it up, uh, <laughs> is like, I think it's 12 or 15, right? So if you have right. two beers, you've done, you've shot your you've shot your limit for the day. Well, that means you can't have any carrots. That means you can't, like there's yeah, still, yeah, yeah. vegetables still have carbs and obviously right. breads and, and, yeah, yeah. and grains have a lot more carbs. So there's multiple mechanisms of action of some of the therapeutic benefits of keto. You mentioned a couple of them. So number one is that once you get into a state that you do not have carbohydrates, the body eventually switches, and this this is around um, you know uh, 24, 48 hours, switches to burning ketones, which are fats. Um, and typically they'll start pulling those fats out of our fat stores, and that's why people will do a low-carbohydrate diet to lose weight. But if you're eating a lot of fat, you can actually now use those fats as ketones as well. And the idea is is that, and this actually is an evolutionary uh, survival mechanism, is that we now have a supermarket culture, but our ancestors, and even I would say 
100 years plus and definitely a thousand years plus where there were long periods of time that could be uh you know three days that they didn't eat food especially if in the hunter-gatherer type of tribes where they ate meat they had they had a, a, a large um input of that and then they don't have that for the rest of the week or they don't have that for the next day because they're out hunting or gathering again and so our brains needed to be able to function at a very high level. And so this basically means is that we are not functioning at on glucose on that at that time. And so our brain is actually very good at using ketones for fuels. And that promotes um, uh, certain anti-inflammatory pathways in neurons. Um, so it both has a fuel benefit, so ketones, mitochondria, better fuel, and also kind of having an anti-inflammatory effect. And I think the third piece that you kind of alluded to is I think a lot of the benefit of the keto diet is by having a positive effect on the gut, by not exposing it to a lot of the inflammatory molecules that are found in grains in general. And we are seeing that um, more and more that the gut microbiome changes when you eat uh, a diet that's high in fiber and low in refined carbs. And that's kind of what a keto diet is it, it plus high in fat as well this is it's so hard for people to wrap their head around it because we've been told forever that red meat yep. is the devil right and so you know maybe just comment on that on that fact like is it is it now is like is, is red meat safe now or should yep. we still be avoiding it like i mean fat in general you know you 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 cook something and there's fat and you always you pour the fat out you always try to skim off the fat like that type of thing yep. now is that should we not be doing that should we be <laughs> it's a great question and it's one that it's I still get like oh do you eat meat and they're like no I don't and, and they're like oh but I eat chicken every day I'm like that's still meat yeah, 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 <laughs> you yeah. know there's a lot of misinformation around that and this whole thing comes out uh, of the idea that uh, <clears throat> fats are associated with cardiovascular issues and there's a huge pharmaceutical industry that was just targeted at cholesterol mm -hmm. and bad fats so the statins you know, Lipitor, Crestor, this is the biggest class and uh, most lucrative class of drugs in the world, most prescribed. And so there was a huge campaign to vilify fat back in the 80s and 90s. And now um, you're seeing that the research actually is not that case. Um, so what I tell my patients, Cam, is I tell them it's the quality. So I still think if you go out and eat a burger every day, it's not going to be healthy for you, mm -hmm. especially when you start barbecuing it and deep frying it and charring it there's a ton of research showing that the way that you cook that meat is not good so you don't want to be overcooking things um, but at the same time you need to balance that with the vegetable piece so a lot of people eat all that meat and then they eat all the refined junk anyways because yeah. they have Fr the milkshake after the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so what I always recommend is the quality of the meat is much more important than if you eat meat or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also what you pair it with. What you pair it with is, it was, is incredibly important. So it's about, we know that the types of fats that are in, you know, even grass-fed meat or wild game is rich in iron, rich in all these minerals, rich in all these cofactors and fats like vitamin K. Uh, so I, I really think it can be a health food. Um, and to be perfectly honest, like I'm a big fan of a plant-based diet, but a lot of the patients that I see have a very difficult time being uh, getting better on a vegan diet. Mm -hmm. And that's because A, a lot of people don't do it right. B, it alludes back to what we originally said, a lot of our plants, um, especially found in the, uh, in the grocery store, just don't have the right minerals that we in theory think that they have. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these patients are very deficient. I want to talk quickly just about cannabis cbd uh oils i know we get that one a lot now i, I want to wrap up with hormones uh that'll probably take us to the end of, of the time that we have so just quickly on on cannabinoids cbd mm -hmm. oils um i've seen some stuff uh promoting it almost like an anti-inflammatory um you know element um i think there's a couple studies just done early phases on rats um, what are your what are your thoughts? What's the mechanism? Um, and, and you know what what are your yeah yeah CBD is all the rage, especially here in Canada right yeah. now. It's like yeah, everyone it's all sold out online, yeah. and and everyone wants to know about it. And and I think even clinicians we don't really 
uh, we don't really fully understand the the whole scope of CBD and and I'm now also wrapping my head around it but I have a lot of patients that have asked me about it so I'll give you the kind of the the, the Coles notes understanding basically we have a class of molecule, uh, receptors in our brain called the cannabinoid system in our brain so these are specific receptors that we ought, we totally didn't understand them years ago and now we're realizing that they do have specific roles to play in and an easy way for us to understand this um, this system is that it is kind of like the brake in the brain. So it doesn't allow the excitotoxicity and overactivation. Majority of the research on CBD um, is actually uh, on epilepsy and an intractable yeah, epilepsy. Yeah. And that, again, is like neurodischarges in a totally unregulated fashion. So what CBD does um, is actually offers these patients, some of these patients, a lot of hope and a lot of relief mm -hmm. because they it kind of slows down that hyperactivity so a lot of patients will say that they sleep better mm -hmm. they're more calm they have less anxiety mm -hmm. and so i think that's beneficial from a, a brain perspective mm -hmm. also there's an anti-inflammatory effect which um the <clears throat> the endocannabinoid system works on so i think working on uh using cbd for that we still need to know more about that i, I we as it pertains to concussions especially because so many of our patients are young there's research showing that cannabis, which does have THC in it as well, uh, that it does have a detrimental effect on some brain development, brain development um, lethargy, memory. Per, There's uh, also mental yeah, health issues mental health. like psychosis and yep. anxiety and things like that. So yep. now, I mean, just quickly on, on, on kind of seizure disorders. And if you think about like what the mechanism is and what kind of happens, you get this excitotoxic event which Definitely. then results in this kind of spreading depression type thing in the brain, which very similar to concussion yep. mechanism. So I think the theory um, holds true. And hopefully uh, we can talk a little bit about hormones now. Hormones have become kind of interesting. I mean, they've it's been like 20 years in the research, but more on the severe moderate brain injury, seeing that people have these like these constellation of symptoms. Yep. And your hormones are so multifactorial. Um, and I haven't seen a ton of research on it from a concussion standpoint. Now, I know this is something that you do. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe talk about hormone dysregulation, pituitary dysfunction, <clears throat> HPA axis, uh, things yeah. to look for, tests that people can request from their you know, doctors. And, Such um, a big question. Cam. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, no, I mean, I, well, you have four minutes. So <laughs> tell us about it. I, and, I mean, uh, I, I probably have to come back and talk about it at length because I, I don't think four minutes is really going to do justice to it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the overview. Basically, um, what we're finding is that we talked about the acute cascade, but there is this delayed cascade that happens. Yeah. And a lot of that is mediated through hormones. What do hormones do? They basically are signaling molecules that tell our endocrine glands what to do and there is the master hormone secreting organ in the body gland is the pituitary gland and that produces a lot of the key hormones that turn on growth that turn on our sexual reproduction function uh, so fertility for example uh, thyroid function which is like energy body temperature etc uh, our adrenal glands which produce energy stress response and many and, and others and so what we're finding the research shows that in it's worse the more severe the TBI right. gets, but in even mild con, uh, situations like sport-related concussion or mild TBI, you're getting anywhere from 15 to uh, up. Some studies show maybe up to 30, 35 percent mm -hmm. reduction in these hormones that can happen well after the injury. And this is what's so difficult about this kid mm -hmm. is that they a lot of people don't make the connection that they are constantly tired. They have a ton of uh, symptoms that look like hypothyroidism, low mm -hmm. thyroid. Right. They're always cold. Their hair is falling out. Yeah, I've had shivers, patients with shivers. Exactly. Uh, so there's a lot of these symptoms that masquerade as all these disorders, but they actually could be coming from a TBI. So I look at blood work and I can see, uh, for example, thyroid stimulating hormone, prolactin. If I see those levels low, I actually asked them, did you have a TBI in the past? And they're like, yeah, actually I did. I had a head injury. I'm like, well, I can see that. I can see that based on the depression in these particular markers. Um, and we know that growth hormone is the biggest one that's affected and then followed by the, the thyroid stimulating hormone. And growth hormone affects your ability to heal every single tissue, your brain included, across the board. And couple this with the fact that it's produced mainly while you sleep. 
and how many TBI patients have problems sleeping? Over 50%. Mm -hmm. Over 50% have long-standing sleep disorders. So these are, you know, these are topics that I would love to get into more detail because there's, we can unpack all them. But suffice to say right now is that this is an absolutely integral part of healing post, long-term post-concussion syndrome and symptoms associated with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good that's a good point to wrap up. But yep. I want to have you back. I for sure want to yeah, have you back. And I'm sure to. everyone here wants to have you back. Um, and maybe we can we can just dive into the hormone piece uh, in the future. And then I sure. really want to get into CTE and kind of neurodegenerative conditions. And I think I mean the, the thought process is that it's a catalyst of you know it's caused by concussions. But I'm starting to think that. How much did the concussion play that role, the increased gut permeability, that increased uh, this neurological inflammation that kept cascading for years and years on end while the players also, you know, drank alcohol and also ate like shit on opioids and and all those things. So and how much of that now plays into the picture of of CTE and and what we're seeing, even in just neurodegeneration, Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have. You know, I think I think there's a huge connection. Yeah, uh, I think that's the missing piece between, as you know, the research is sketchy, and some people are trying to really make that link. But I think what we just discussed is a strong mechanistic yeah. rationale of this is a long-term thing that could be smoldering underneath. Right. Anyway. <clears throat> Yeah. Thank you so much so, for coming. So so happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for everyone that tuned in. Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and hopefully everyone learned a lot. Every time I chat with you, Instagram, Instagram. What's your Instagram? Uh, <clears throat> at, uh, at Dr. Paul at, Herkel. At, at Dr. Paul Herkel. Um, come check me out. Uh, we talk a lot about this. Post a lot about this stuff all the time. Yeah, great. Thanks, thanks. everyone for coming. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. It'll just be me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.